Welcome to the ISA Science of Arboriculture podcast series. This series was developed by the International Society of Arboriculture and is brought to you by the Bartlett Tree Experts, caring for America's trees since 1907. This podcast series offers full-length educational talks by the world's top researchers, educators, and practitioners, helping to keep you up-to-date with developments in the arboriculture industry. This is Tom Smiley at the Bartlett Tree Research Laboratory with today's talk by Kieran Hunt, Using Geomatics in Urban Forestry. It was originally presented at the 2016 ISA International Conference in Fort Worth, Texas. All right, good afternoon, everybody. Thank you very much for coming and hanging in there. I know it's been a long week for a lot of people, and uh, I'm very happy that we have a, anybody in here right now. I know I'm pretty tired, so thank you really for staying for this. So once again, my name is Kieran Hunt. I work for Paul Cowie and Associates. I know I've been introduced, but I'll just give you a little brief summary of myself. Uh, the majority of my work for Paul Cowie and Associates still has to do with arboriculture, so I'm not in an office all the time doing this geomatic stuff. A lot of my, my work still involves just going out inventorying trees, assessing the health and structure of urban trees. Uh, but part of my job involves management of geographic information systems and geomatics. So this is me out in the field with my giant GPS antenna pole, uh, walking through the mud in a farm, GPSing a couple of trees along the edge there. Uh, yeah, so I do spend some of my time in an office playing with computers and GIS, but I also spend a fair amount of my time in the field. So, just a little brief rundown of what I'm going to be talking about today. Um, I apologize, I'm short. I'll try not to hide too much behind this podium. Um, so, basically, geographic information systems and ge the field of geomatics allows us to manage large populations of trees effectively. So, when we're thinking about arboriculture, usually we're talking about individual trees or small populations of trees. When we're talking about urban forestry, we're really talking about seeing the forest for the trees, right? So it's helpful to collect data for each individual tree, but on a grand scale, it's hard to focus on the forest when we're looking at a lot of data for each individual tree, and we have thousands of trees, right? So using uh, geographic information systems and geomatics allows us to use both vector and raster data, which I'll get into what those mean in a minute, um, to manage urban forests more effectively, to make decisions on a forest level that we might not be able to do on the individual tree scale. And uh, usually it involves learning map making, so I'll do a little bit into cartography, although I won't go too, delve too deeply into any one subject. So just uh, in case you didn't know, urban forestry involves managing tr urban trees on a forest level. This could be anything from managing all of the street trees in a city to managing all of the county road trees in a county or managing all of the trees in a park. The point is that it's populations of trees in an urban setting or semi-urban environment. And uh, geomatics allows us to enhance our, not only management of these, but also communication with our clients and in-house. I know for me, sometimes 
This GIS stuff really just helps me to figure out what I'm going to do and where I'm going to go in the field. So it's, uh, it's helpful just for in-house stuff as well. And I really feel like this is the future of urban forestry. People are already using this out there today. So it's helpful to get on board and to start learning some of what this stuff can do. So what is geomatics? I had one guy ask me earlier today, what's a geomatic? Um, and it's a good question. Most people, when they hear about this stuff, they're really thinking about GIS, right? So geographic information systems. Ge geomatics is the broader field of managing geographically referenced or geo-referenced data. And it could combine the use of geographic information systems. It could just be us using geographic data for managing different types of information. It doesn't have to be GIS, although usually it is. So again, isn't that GIS? Well, kind of. Usually, geomatics involves the management of geographic information systems. But uh, this term gets thrown around a lot, so I want to just sort of give a clear definition of what GIS is. A geographic information system is a specific system for managing a specific set of data. So for instance, let's say that I worked for Fort Worth. I might use a geographic information system to manage the data for all of the public trees in the right-of-way for Fort Worth. And I would have a set of rules for how I organize my data. I would say, you know, all of my vector data would go into these folders on my computer system. And there's this, that, and the other thing that I tell my, my employees for how they go about in collecting data. Um, we might use a specific set of geographic information tools, like uh, GPSs and things. I'm going to have a set of rules for how I collect my data, how I store my data, how I present my data. And it's all surrounding the Fort Worth public trees. And that is my geographic information system. It's very specific to what I'm managing. So um, geomatics is the broader field of managing and utilizing geographic inf geographically relevant information, whereas GIS is a system for managing a specific set of information. It could be anything from a, a hard copy spreadsheet that has zero maps and only shows the addresses of the street trees to a computer system that has all of the satellite imagery for the entire planet. So it's really anything in between. So there are two types of geo-referenced geo data I'll be talking about today. Discrete features have a defined location. So for instance, this building would be considered a discrete feature. It has a point where the building ends and the sidewalk begins, right? So when I'm out looking at the satellite imagery for Fort Worth and I see the convention center, I don't say, well, there's 100% building here, and then there's 75% uh, building over there. No, the building ends at a specific location, and then the building is no longer continuing on. Uh, whereas continuous data is things like elevation, right? So the elevation continues as I go through the city. Uh, you don't get to a point where the elevation just ends and the earth disappears, right? So continuous data um, is usually contained in a grid of numeric values, and it can be anything from a picture, a simple color photograph, satellite imagery, that sort of stuff, to things like terrain data, elevation, that kind of stuff. You can also use it to, color, to number code things like land use and land cover. Um, but discrete features are generally represented with uh, a drawing or a digital representation, something like a line or a point or a polygon. So to get more into those discrete features, these are what we contain into vector data. Uh, so vector data is. Um, Basically, it's not taking imagery. It is containing discrete features using shapes, so things like points, lines, and polygons. And because we have these digital representations of our features or, or our specific items on the Earth, we're able to have a table in the background that contains what we call attribute information for each one of those items. So something like a tree, which would be a feature, 
can have attribute information associated with it, such as its species, its diameter, its health, what sort of insect or disease problems it may have. So we have a point on the Earth that we can show in our geographic information system. And then in the background, we know all sorts of information about that point. So we can say, I want to look at all the trees that have problems with borers. And we can go out and we can make a map of that and go out and find all those trees. And that's what makes vector data so useful. It's really the attribute information associated with each item in the system. Um, and again, it's points, lines, and polygons. And we'll get into what those different shapes are right now. So this is Branch Brook Park in Newark, New Jersey. We do a lot of work here. Uh, they have one of the largest flowering cherry tree collections in the country. So about 5,000 prunus uh, in there. And you might say, Kieran, whoa, hold on. That's a monoculture. That is a huge problem. Why would you manage that? And I'll tell you that it wasn't my idea. Um, they called us to help, us help them manage their cherry tree collection, and it is beautiful in the spring. Um, they, it's really amazing. There are literally lines of women in bridal gowns standing around certain trees waiting to take photographs. It's gorgeous out there. But it is a monoculture, and because of that, we have a set of unique problems that might not happen in another county park, right? So in this park, we have a lot of cherry trees, and we have to deal with things like borers. We have to deal with things like cherry trees notoriously coming very deep in the root wall from, from the nurseries. All sorts of different problems. I mean, I don't know if many of you manage a lot of cherry trees, but they really, really want to be bushes, right? Cherry trees just, man, they just, they just sucker sprout all over the place. They just want to be a bush. And we got to go over there, and with 5,000 cherry trees, there's an awful lot of corralling we need to do to make them stay trees and not bushes. So there's all sorts of work we got to do. So if we zoom in a little bit more, we can look at some of our vector data. So since I do so much work out here, I have digitized the whole park. So I basically created digital representations of all of the important context out there. So things like uh, polygons data. So our polygon it would be just the border around the park. We have this parking lot is a polygon, all these ball fields. This is a playground. This is a building. The water is a polygon. I just drew a shape around it. Now it's a polygon. Line features are things like the roads. And then there are all these walking paths in there. Line features don't have any width to them. They are just a thin line going through the, the park here. And then I can symbolize them with things like this, you know, this road looking thing. So this is. Uh, its, its geometry is just a line. It doesn't have any thickness to it. I add that after the fact when I display it on the map. Uh, and then points features are all of those green dots, which are cherry trees. So if we zoom in just a little bit more, now we can look at some of our data up close and start talking about things like attribute information. So the attributes associated here are being shown in their simplest form. I'm simply color coding or using shapes to code things. and then. Uh, displaying them on the map that way. So we have a legend that shows that the cherry trees are green dots with a black circle surrounding them. Walking paths are these light gray, and those are line features. And then we have some polygon features uh, symbolized here. There's some ball fields and things like that. So attribute information, this is in its simplest form. If we want to go into a little bit more detail with some attributes, we can show something like tag numbers. So this isn't exactly something that I would show to a client. This, isn't, uh, this is not the cleanest map ever. But this is something useful for me or the master gardeners who go out and prune cherry trees. So they might want to know, all right, how do I find this cherry tree out in the field? I know what the tag number is. Well, I, I can go find it out here using the tag number map. And um, this is just one of the many pieces of attribute information associated with these cherry trees. Another one would be something like condition. 
So this is useful as well for management. We can say, all right, there's a dead tree over here that we got to replace. There are some poor trees out there that we should probably go out and, and, and figure out what's wrong with them, if they need some sort of, sort of fertilization, if they need some air tilling, whatever the case may be. Um, and this is all really useful stuff. In the background, we have, this is a sample of what the attribute information looks like for these cherry trees. Obviously, you can't read it. Um, I'm just sort of giving you an idea of what it looks like on the back end, if you've never messed around with any of this geographic information system stuff before. There are these, you can have giant tables of data in the background. The only limit really is to how much time and effort you're willing to devote to collecting your data. Uh, whatever data you collect, you can put into this system. So each row in, these, in this table is a cherry tree, and then each column is a type of data. So we have things like the tag number, the condition, whether it, there are borers. And in Branchbrook Park in particular, we have peach tree borers, as well as we're just starting to see Asian ambrosia beetles, so that's fun. Um, whether the root collar is deep, this is, as I said, this is a notorious problem for the cherry trees coming out of the nurseries, all sorts of data. And then we can represent that in our map. So I'm going to skip back and forth a little bit between vector and raster data. So here we have, uh, we'll talk about raster data now. So raster data is that continuous data I was talking about, stuff that doesn't have a discrete end. So things like elevation data, a simple image, slope, aspect, all the stuff that can be represented continuously over the landscape. And again, it's usually represented in a grid, right? So as I said, there's color satellite imagery. There's also things like percent live vegetation. So in my work, sometimes I use a vegetation index, which I'll get into some more details of how that's made a little bit later. But uh, this vegetation index gives me a good idea of where the live vegetation is in a city. And I can use that to manage equity in a city. So let's say. There's an area of green and there's an area of gray. I want to put some green in the gray spot, you know. Uh, it helps me to manage my forest on a larger scale. And raster data is really cool because it's a grid of numbers. That means that I can use those numbers to perform math. So some of the, most, some of the simplest things I can do is take, say, Fort Worth live vegetation data for 2015 and 2005, and I can subtract one from the other and see what the change in live vegetation cover was for the city. So that's some of the simplest stuff we can do. It certainly gets more complicated than that. Um, but it, it, it can get really cool when you start doing some stuff like that. So here's some raster data. This is in New Jersey. This is Newark, New Jersey. Uh, once again, this is not Branchbrook Park, though. This is by Newark Airport. If any of you ever traveled out my way, Newark Airport is uh, awfully gray. They're not really doing a good job with their grass, either. Um, so this is a raster. This is simple aerial imagery. And then we've used this to create things like vegetation indexes. So this is a vegetation index of that same area. And basically, this goes from black to white. The darker it is, the less vegetation there is there. The lighter it is, the, the more vegetation there is there. It's not perfect, but it's awfully consistent. It tends to do a pretty good job of separating out live vegetation from not live vegetation. And um, we can use this for a variety of things, including, like I said, finding areas where, hey, there's some vegetation over in this neighborhood, but maybe not so much in here. Maybe we should, if we got to plant some trees, maybe we should focus on this area here, right? And just to give you an idea of that whole a grid of numbers idea, so if you zoom in real close, it might be hard to see. There are all these little cells or pixels, and each one of them has a number associated with it, right? So this is how a raster works. So. Back to the vector data, how do we use this in urban forestry, right? So 
Uh, we can use it for things like managing not just trees, but also vacant planting sites. So I've used this for things like um, New Jersey has a no net loss funding project that we do uh, where we have to map out lots of vacant planting sites and submit that to the state for our planting projects. Uh, our lines data is used for things like the planting strip along the road, roads themselves. We can use this for context. We also use it for utilities. If we can get utilities data, it's really helpful to find where we cannot plant trees, right? And then polygons, I'm usually just using for structure, um, for context, so that I know, you know, it, it's really useful to have a map of 5,000 cherry trees, right? But if I drop them onto white space and they're floating in midair, that's not really a very useful map for anybody. We need some kind of context in the background. So usually my polygons are just for that sort of background context. So here's the deal. When I'm, when I'm collecting, like that table you saw for the cherry trees, there's all sorts of attribute information. It's really about sifting through the noise. So it's helpful to have a lot of data, but really what I want to do is show only the things I need to show to answer my question. The more data I have to put on that map, the less intuitive it's going to be and the more confusing it's going to be to somebody reading it. And we really want our maps to be intuitive and user-friendly. This is really key. So part of the process for creating intuitive and user-friendly maps is knowing my question before I start. So if I start going out and collecting data before I know really what I'm trying to answer, first of all, I'm going to waste my time, both because I'm going to collect data I don't need and because I'm going to have to go back and collect data that I did need that I didn't collect. But also, it's going to show when I start distributing my data to other people, it's going to show that I didn't really have any purpose in mind. I need to know why I'm out there collecting my data, what data I need to collect. And if I, if I don't know that, my maps are not going to have purpose. And then sifting through that noise, you know, it, it may, I may collect a lot of attribute information, and I may have that, and it, and it may be useful to me in a management sense over a long period of time. But when I'm creating a map to show to a client or to show to somebody in-house, it's really about removing any information I don't need and only displaying what I need to show to answer that question. So in that end, map making combines technical knowledge with aesthetic communication. So in other words, I know for me, I am a technical kind of guy. I can go out there and I can tell you what's wrong with that tree and why, and I can tell you what the GIS system does and how it works. But uh, I'm not always the best at communicating that to a client or to another person. So Really, this is about taking a lot of really useful technical information and making it user-friendly and sometimes even a little bit Fisher-Price, depending on who my client is, right? So we need to gather information, but we also need to convey it. So the gathering information part may be the, part, the reason I got into this field. You know, like I like to go out into the field. I like to be around trees. I like trees. But um, I also need to be able to communicate that to other people, as I'm sure everybody has learned by now. So. Technically sound maps that are not aesthetically pleasing are going to be less trustworthy to your client. So even if the, the map has all the same information on it, even if it's the most, if it's the most technically sound map, if it's gaudy, if it, ha if it uses poor symbology that's hard to understand, um, if you make the background context really bright and then all the important stuff really dim, it's going to be distracting. People are not going to trust it. It's the same idea as having bad handwriting versus printing a report out in Microsoft Word, right? People are going to trust the report that's printed on the piece of paper a lot more than they are the one that you wrote on a, on a half-torn piece of notebook paper. So here's a good example of that. If you came into my presentation and all my slides looked like this, would you trust me? Would you say, this guy really knows what he's talking about? 
or would you say, you know, commerce is pretty much over anyway. I think I'm just going to leave. Um, so don't make maps like this slide. All of this information can be displayed like this. So the point is, remove the information we don't need and only show what we need to answer our question. People are going to trust us more. It's going to be cleaner. It's going to be easier to understand and interpret. So let's go into some of that. This is the map version of that bad slide I just showed you. This is a busy map. There's a lot going on here. And while there may be a lot of information that we can gain from looking at this map, it's not useful. First of all, there's so much data on here that my legend has to take up almost half the map. But on top of that, we've got numbers that are clashing with the dots so bad that you can't always tell where the number goes. You've got Condition and borers data all symbolized together, which again, there's a lot of information there, but at the end of the day, when I hand this to somebody, they're not going to go, oh, nice. They're going to say, what is this? I, I can't read that. That's a lot. That's too much. So it's just as, as doable and a lot more user-friendly to, to show the same amount of data on multiple maps. So here we have condition. And we have borers, presence or absence of borers. And if I distribute this to my client, let's say in a report where the maps are overlaid on top of each other, they can flip back and forth very easily. They can see that these are the same trees, but they don't have to look at it all on one map and be uh, sort of overwhelmed by how much data I put on there. So this is a more useful and user-friendly way to, to show my data to people. And OK, so this is great. We're talking about you know color coding and, and showing vector data in a useful way. But there really aren't that many trees here. This isn't an urban forest, and that's really what we're talking about. So how do I show this much data on, uh, it, when I'm talking about 5,000 cherry trees, let's say? So here's that borer's points. Can you guys see the dots? No, right? You can, you can see like there's a little bit of green fuzz around some places. But uh, there's so many trees, when you zoom out this much, you can't even see the dots. There's 5,000 dots there, but good luck finding them. You need a magnifying glass. So if I'm managing 5,000 cherry trees and I want to know where to focus my efforts for treating for these borers that we've been talking about, how do I do that with just these dots? I need to re-symbolize it. I need to, I need to remove all the noise so that I'm only looking at the data that I need to see. So this is a heat map. So what I've done is I've taken away the good, the, the trees without borers are gone. I took them out entirely. I'm only showing borers data so the higher density of borers there are in an area, the more you're going to see red haze over that area. So now this is useful. This I can take and I can, I can show this to the county parks people and they can say, all right, we know where we need to go to manage for these borers. Maybe we need to go, we need to hire an outside firm to go out and treat these trees. Um, this is where I need to focus my management efforts. This answers a question. And this is managing trees on a broader scale. And in the same way, I can do this with the condition data. I can take away the good trees, and I can symbolize the heat map so that the worse the trees are doing, the more we have this red haze. And again, I can, I can say, all right, the trees seem to be doing pretty well in the middle of the park. But towards the ends, there seem to be some issues. And I, I should probably go out there and see what's going on. Maybe I need to air till them. Maybe the problem is uh, you know, uh, these areas flood. The point is that when you're managing this many trees, it can be really hard to know where to go to focus my efforts. So when I have this geographic information system managing my data, now I can more easily find where I need to go to focus my efforts. Because again, this is a county park. 
They don't have a whole lot of money. They're on tight budgets. And uh, really, this is about managing in, a, in an efficient and cost-effective way so that that little bit of budget that they have every year to manage these cherry trees can be used effectively. So in the same way, we want to display our raster data in ways that's going to sift through the noise. So we're only showing the data that we want to show to answer the question. And again, it's about communicating aesthetically, right? So how do I communicate a grid of numbers to a client? How do I show that to the people in-house? How do I show that to myself in a way that's not overwhelming, that's not confusing? So here we have that same aerial imagery we were looking at before, just, uh, just beside Newark Airport. And then here's that same vegetation index we showed. So this is cool. It shows us the brighter areas are where there's vegetation, the darker areas are where there's not. But even this isn't exactly intuitive and user-friendly. I'm going to have to explain this to somebody. If I display this in a way that's more intuitive, now it's a little bit easier to read, right? If I show this to a client, it's a little bit easier to understand that the green areas are vegetation and the gray areas are not vegetation. And so this sort of thing is a lot more communicative. It's a lot more intuitive. Somebody can use this and they can say, OK, yeah, I see a lot of green over here. I think this is OK. I really don't see any green over here at all. I think I need to go plant some trees there. And I'd love to plant some trees here, but I don't think the airport will let me. So although, the, again, the airport might want to do something about their lawns, because there's no green there at all. Um, so again, this is just about removing all the things that we don't need to see and only showing what we need to see to help manage our trees on a forest level. So if we're in a city and we want to figure out where to plant trees, this is really useful for finding areas that don't have trees. So again, I, I mentioned that, that vegetation index we were just looking at here. That's called the Normalized Difference Vegetation Index. I'm not going to go into the sort of light theory on how this works. The point I want to make here is that this NDVI, the Normalized Difference Vegetation Index, is dependent upon the fact that live vegetation reflects light differently than most other surfaces. And there are some consistent things that it does across the light spectrum that we can use to create an index that allows us to pull out just that information. So in that, other Im in that color imagery back here, I have full spectrum light, right? I've got red, green, and blue layers. And they, I layer them on top of each other, and it shows me the full visible spectrum. What I do with that vegetation index is I pull out almost everything. I use only the red and the near-infrared, which is actually invisible light. And I create an index. So technically, once again, I have removed a whole bunch of information. I'm only showing a little bit. I've taken three bands of light, and I've turned it into one. So I'm only showing vegetation and not vegetation. So it's a lot less informative than this might be overall. But it is informative to the question I'm trying to ask. So that's the Normalized Difference Vegetation Index. So again, here's our aerial imagery. And there's our NDVI. And I've symbolized it from gray to green. So I want to give one case study. Uh, this is a process that I'm working out in, um, again, we have those no net loss projects in New Jersey. So basically, we have some funding coming around. For when a, usually it's for deforestation, although in this case it's been translated over from Hurricane Sandy. If you heard about that, we lost a lot of trees during Hurricane Sandy up our way. And so the state is doing some, some grants to fund some no net, no net loss projects. So I decided that I would use that opportunity in Paramus, New Jersey. Uh, they need to find vacant planting sites along the road in the public right of way. And so I wanted to create a process that uses only the public right of way data and tries to approximate where the lawns are. So where are there vacant planting sites in the public right-of-way? 
and I want to do that for a whole city. So I'm going to go through how I used simple roads data. It's the only vector data I used. And then I used that same aerial imagery we were looking at before. I created a vegetation index, and I used it to try to approximate some lawns. And it worked out fairly well. So this is just a zoomed in version of a couple of blocks of a residential neighborhood in Paramus, New Jersey. I'm just going to use this for my example to go through the process here. So first thing I did was I took the roads data. This is freely available data online. And I did what's called a buffer. It basically just creates a polygon out of that road so that I have a buffered uh, out from the center. So I went about 35 feet, I believe. I'd have to check that. But basically, I went based upon what the public right-of-way is on average in Paramus, New Jersey. So this approximated the public right-of-way. So we've got the road, and then we've got a little bit of the lawn off of the road. So then I took that normalized difference vegetation index. And I chopped it up so that, it only, so that I only had that NDVI for the areas within, the, within this approximated public right-of-way. So now I have basically the vegetation index for all of the public right-of-way in the city. So then what I did was, when I looked at this data, I saw that trees tended to be the greenest, and then the grayest tended to be things like driveways and roads, and then Somewhere in the middle is where lawns fell. So let's say that if we, if we sliced up the, the brightest areas and the darkest areas, about the middle fifth was where most of the lawns were. So I pulled that middle fifth out. And that, that landed me with mostly lawns. The one problem I had was that I also had a bunch of areas that were shadows of trees. So apparently shadows of trees show up very similarly in this vegetation index uh, to lawns. So what, what I did there. And again, I'm not going to get into the color theory behind this, was, but what I did was I divided this mid-fifth data by the original near-infrared band. And that tended to pull out a lot of those shadows. And again, this is all about because of how vegetation reflects light compared to other things like the shadows of trees, uh, I was able to pull this data out. And so what I did here, so I know it's a little bit hard to see, but there are some green patches. These were mostly lawns. But then we also had these tiny little spots here that were definitely too small to plant a tree. And I wanted to pull those out. So I did a process called a sieve, which if you know what a sieve is, it's for pulling bigger chunks out of the, out of the soil, right? So a sieve here basically pulled all the tiny pieces out and left the big pieces. So I sieved that. Now I ended up with these areas that were decent-sized patches of lawn. And then I ran a process. So first of all, let me show you this. So here we have the original imagery. And then it's a little tough to see. But if we go back and forth, you can kind of see where those lawns fell. And it did a pretty good job. Most of the places that have green are lawn. So you know, probably the easiest spot to focus on is right here. That's a big patch of lawn in somebody's front yard. That could definitely fit a tree, right? So this, it seems to be working. So then what I did was I, I ran a process that takes all of these polygons, and it creates points out of them. So that I, all right, now I have a points vector file that shows me where there are might be a vacant planting site. So two things I want to mention here. One is this process is st I'm, still in, I'm still creating this process, but it seems to be working fairly well so far. But the other thing I want to mention is that no matter how much work I do at my desk figuring out this really cool process for approximating vacant planting sites, I am still going to have to drive in my car out to these spots and look at them. There might be a really good reason why there's no tree there. There might be a utility somewhere near there that I can't plant around. The homeowner might really not want a tree there. 
Whatever the case may be, there might be good reasons why these don't have trees here. And actually, I will say that Paramus, New Jersey has probably the best urban forestry management in the state. Uh, that theirs is the program that most cities model theirs off of. So there probably really is a good reason why they don't have a tree here. Uh, I mean, it's so good there that there are roads that you can't even see because there are so many trees covering them. Um, but regardless, the point here, right, so you look at this and you say, all right, Kieran, that's, you know, that's cool. You went through this whole process. The computer did some cool things. But like, I could have printed this out and drawn these dots by hand, and it would have taken less time than it took you to explain it. And I say yes, except that you can't do that for a whole city. And that's the point of this. It's urban forestry. So we're looking to manage on a forest level. And again, I can't go out and say, yeah, I'm not, not going to call the city manager and say, dude, you've got all these planting sites here for sure. Go out and plant trees there. I got to go look at them first. But the point is that now I know this is probably where I should go drive my car out to to look for vacant planting sites, right? And I probably shouldn't spend a whole lot of time looking in this neighborhood here. And I probably am not going to find any on the golf course. You know, it, it gave me a really good idea of where I'm probably going to find vacant lawns big enough to plant a tree. So this is the point. It took an area that I might not have been, you know, if I'm not familiar with this city, and, the, and maybe the city managers aren't that familiar with the city either, they might not really know exactly where they have vacant planting sites. If they don't have a street tree inventory, which they don't, they might not know where they have vacancies. It might be pretty tough for them to tell you where to go. And if we've got to plant 800 trees, that's a lot of time spent just sort of, you know, floating around the city trying to find spots. So a better, so this creates a process that gives me areas to focus on. So instead of driving around the whole borough of Paramus, I can focus on just driving around this neighborhood and maybe over here and maybe a little bit in here. And again, this is not only about saving myself time, but it's also about equity, right? So if I know that there's a pretty good amount of trees planted over here in the right of way, I can say that probably these guys feel like they're getting a little bit, you know, a little shirked on their tree planting. They probably feel like these guys have the better end of the stick there. So it's also about managing an urban forest equitably. So another thing I'd like to point out is that the process is not perfect. It's, it's, this is a computer doing this after all. So it put vacant planting sites on things like the back of semi-trucks. Uh, there's a nice one that fell right into the center of a parking stall over there. Uh, there's another one on the back of another truck. Apparently trucks just really come up as vacant lawns in this process for whatever reason. Uh, so it wasn't perfect. It definitely came up with some weird things when, it, when I went through this, but it did a pretty good job. And what I can do is um, if I go out and I find that these planting sites are good, you know, I say I drive out to this neighborhood and I say, yep, these are good, these good, these ones not so much. I can take this and then I can go back, uh, I can mark up, I can print this out, I can mark it up in the field, I can go back and correct it and then I can have a planting plan for this area. And that's really what we, what we needed for the state. The state requires that we have planting plans, including maps for, the, for every single tree in this no net loss project. So I got a little bit of a head start creating these maps, having the context to put in the background like this aerial imagery. And then I also was able to go through and um, mark out the maps in the field and then go back and, and finish them up here. And now I've got things like planting plans where I can go submit them to the state. And another thing I'll mention with these no net loss projects is when I'm out in the field, not only am I going to mark down where I can and can't have a tree, I'm going to mark down things like, are there wires above? What type of wires are there above? How wide is the planting strip if it's between the sidewalk and the road? 
other things like that. And any sort of information that's going to be relevant to planting a new tree, I'm going to mark it down. Because later on, when I decide which trees to plant where, I can do that based upon the attribute information I've collected in my GIS. And so I, and I, and this, we've done this for a no net loss project in the past. I can go from a series of points that are just vacant planting sites to a series of points that show exactly what type of tree to plant there based upon what's really there in the field. So it really becomes very useful in, in the long run uh, for collecting and then symbolizing data and creating plans. So again, this is about broad scale management. This is about managing trees on a forest level. So in the last couple of minutes, I'll just give a little wrap up. Once again, this was about taking a, a simple vector file, a lines file that was just roads, uh, approximating the public right of way, and then using a vegetation index to create an approximation of where the lawns were so that we can create an idea of where the vacant planting sites were. So in my, in my work using geomatics and urban forestry, I use vector and raster data to answer all sorts of questions. And, I, and really, part of the thing that's really cool about this is that it gives me the option to come up with new questions that we didn't even know we could ask, right? So now we have this new technology, and uh, it really gives us the opportunity to ask questions that we may not have even known were worth asking before. Um, part of the thing that I need to do in my work, and that I strongly recommend for anybody getting into this, is to know my question before I start collecting my first bit of information. It is quite a bit of heartache to go out and have to recollect data because you didn't know what your question was in the beginning or you didn't know what you needed to answer it. And it also, let me tell you, it's hard to explain to my boss why I went out and spent an extra couple of days collecting data I didn't need. So really, you know, it's about being efficient and collecting only what I need. And, uh, and it's pretty obvious when you look at a map that the person didn't really know what they were trying to show you, right? If they don't know what they're trying to show you, it's not going to have the map is not going to be clear. It's not going to have um, the relevant pieces of information sort of popping out in the context fading into the background. It's usually going to be busy. Uh, so in, to that end, we want to remove information that we don't need from our maps. So again, we want our maps to be intuitive and readable, because the point is that people are not going to trust the data we show them if it's noisy, if it's busy, if it's gaudy, if it's not user friendly. Um, this is online, so you can download my slides on the ISA site, the event will be site. And uh, so I'm, not, I'm just going to kind of skim through this. There's a lot of information out there. A lot of it is free. Um, there's, most states have their own dedicated GIS websites. So just a little bit of Googling around will get you what you need. There's a lot of really useful stuff out there, everything from vegetation data to roads data. Some, some towns go as far as giving you the land plots and, and you know, so you can actually drop people's property boundaries on top of everything else. It can be very useful. So the data is out there, and then the tools are also out there. There are a number of different GIS software suites. Esri is not the only one out there. There are others, um, although arguably Esri is the best. Esri works with the most other systems. Um, but Esri requires that you purchase into their whole ecosystem. And if you're not trying to spend that much money, I suggest looking into things like QGIS, which is an open source and free version that does al almost everything that Esri will do minus the plugins to some of the other third-party softwares that are out there. Um, there's also a lot of useful books and things that you can read. And probably the best thing I can suggest is if you want to get into this, if you're not into it already, take a class at a local college, look up a place where you can go to take, get some training, and just get introduced to the language. And then from there, you can start messing around on your own. On your own. So to sum it up, in my last two minutes, um, 
This is really revolutionizing our industry and a lot of industries. Geomatics is used all around the world in almost every industry nowadays. It's not just us, obviously, but really it is very, very useful for vegetation management, especially on a broader scale. Uh, it's, you know, suddenly we can, do we can write reports for counties about their trees, whereas before we might not, might not have even be able to, been able to service a county because we just couldn't get the manpower to go through and collect inventory data for all of the trees on the county roads. Now we might not need to go out and look at the trees. Maybe we can do just those vegetation indexes and just give them an idea of where they need to plant. So there's all sorts of stuff that we can do now that we might not have known we, ha we, we had the capability of doing before. Um, and there's really, you know, what I've shown here is just the beginning. This is the simplest version of some of this stuff. It can get a lot more advanced, and there are a lot more cool capabilities we've got here. And, and the bottom line is, when, you're, when it comes to managing large areas of land, so whole regions or, or cities or things like that, um, if you're doing that kind of consulting and you're not trying to get into this, probably somebody else in your area will eventually. So it's, this is sort of staying ahead of the bowl here. If you're trying to get into this, even if you don't want to learn it, hire somebody who does. You know, uh, It's really very, very useful. And with that, I believe my time is up, and uh, thank you. This concludes Karen Hunt's talk on using geomatics in urban forestry. To learn more, you can get additional information at the ISA web store, including the book Up by Roots and Planning the Urban Forest. If you would like to receive CEUs for listening to this talk, visit the ISA online store and select online CEU quizzes. Thank you for listening to this episode, which was brought to you by the Bartlett Tree Experts, caring for America's trees since 1907. Remember to subscribe to this podcast series and join us next time for another episode of Science of Arboriculture. Trees in every country. Trees, you know we can. Work together and learn what we need to meet the challenge. Traditional skills and modern techniques. Whatever language you speak, you have a world to offer every day. Climb with the ISA.